Thanks for taking the time to interview with us today, Justin. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Just just hanging in there, you know. Great, great. So what would you say is your biggest weakness? Well, sometimes I have trouble focusing, um, and I'll procrastinate on things sometimes. I mean, my biggest weakness is that I work too hard sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we can work with that, Justin. Is that a cat behind you? Oh, yeah, that's that's my cat, Kitty. Yeah. We are more of a dog company here. Would you have a problem switching pets? Well, uh, if that's what you need, I, I guess I can find her a new a new home. Um, Great. I think you'll be a lot happier with dogs. Cats are underachievers in our experience. Okay. That's a nice shirt, by the way. Yeah, it's it's from the Gap. I really like pink shirts. I think they think it's a good color combo with my hair. Would you mind unbuttoning it a little more? Uh, like this. You know what? Just just go ahead and take it off. Um, okay. Great. And if you could go ahead and put your hands over your breasts and squeeze them together for me, that would be great. Um, like like this. Hmm. We can work on that if we hire you. Go ahead and put that shirt back on. You disgust me. I'm sorry. I'm a little nervous. I haven't I haven't done this in a while. Oh, I see you're from Texas. Would you mind putting on a Texan accent for us? Uh, okay. Uh, how about this? Maybe a little more, please. Well, bless your heart. How y'all doing today? Yeah. Well, I think we got everything we need. We'll be in touch with you after we finish interviewing the next few hundred applicants that will do this job for less money and are younger and more attractive. Thanks so much for your time today. Bye-bye. All right, then. Goodbye. God damn it, Kitty. You blew it. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. A woman done left and took all the reason I was working for. You better not try to stand in my way as I'm walking out the door. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Lower Your Expectation with me, Jaywalk. And today is the Poverty Spectacular. <laughs> It's uh, finally caught up to me. This goddamn made-up hoax virus is finally affecting me in severe financial ways. I've blown all of the money that I had saved from last year that I was kind of coasting on, and uh, now it's gotten real. Uh, I was out, out to lunch with someone, and I looked at my bank account, and I realized that I did not have enough money for rent, which was, which hasn't happened in like a year, <laughs> sadly. Uh, I'm pretty used to being broke. Something me and my mom always talk about is that we uh, understand poverty. <laughs> like we, we're okay with it. We know I, I was, uh, I was raised by teenage parents who did not have a lot of cash, and um, you know we've always figured out how to make it work. Uh, one, whenever I was in my early twenties. I decided to uh, not pay rent one time at my apartment or just not work and pay pay the rent. I had a badass summer where all I did was hang out by the pool and uh, barbecue and get stoned. That was super fun, but uh, 
it doesn't pay the bills, so I was running low on money and like every uh, 20-something, I just went, I was like, oh, no problem. I just go to my parents and uh, see if they can fork over some cash. And I I told my mom, you know, what was going on. Uh, and uh, they were, and she was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I, I got some money. And she handed me a change jar. <laughs> That's how things were in the Walker household if you needed money. Uh, I got a large jar full of change, which did have like 27 bucks. Uh, which was pretty nice. I actually used some of it to uh, to buy a, a, a double bacon cheeseburger. And then I had a tantrum about it because I ordered it and they did not uh, prepare it the right way. They put like mayonnaise on it, which I can't stand. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a plain and dry burger guy. Uh, plain and dry burger guy. Uh, and if there's anything on there, especially something like a sauce that I can't take off, uh, it ruins the whole fucking burger for me. Like I can't eat it. And so I, I remember getting this uh, double bacon cheeseburger and had everything on it. And I just like I was I was so like stressed and like worried about money anyways and like hungry and just wanted this one thing to kind of cheer me up and a little treat. And it was totally ruined. And I didn't want to go back to the store and have them fix it. So I just like I remember I just tossed the whole thing in the trash like literally like cried about it, like had a, had a full on like a uh, toddler temp- temper tantrum about it. That was not fun, but I I've dealt with being broke a lot in my life. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've uh, lived out of my, out of my car and uh, lived on people's couches and stuff. Actually, whenever that, um, whenever that situation happened uh, where I did not have rent money and no, no work, uh, I just tried to go back home <laughs> that, like after, after the change jar did not, um, you know, pay, pay off the bills. Also like many millennials, I just simply went back to my, my folks and said, well, it looks like I'm moving back in. Like, hope you didn't turn my bedroom into a, uh, a game room or something <laughs> because, uh, I'm coming back. And my mom was like immediately like, oh, no problem. Like, we, we'd love to have you back. Like, you're in. Like, tell me how I can make your bed and everything. And I was all set to move in. And it was actually uh, my dad's birthday. And uh, my dad um, likes to smoke a little weed on the down low. So I got some some cash together and actually got him like this cool little like uh, marijuana one hitter thing. You would never expect it from my dad, too, because he's especially back then. He was just like a really serious like business person. Uh, but I knew his secrets. So I thought it would you know, be kind of a nice uh, welcome back home, son, present <laughs> to get him a one hitter uh, marijuana uh, piece kits. And I sat down and gave it to him. And then I was sitting on the couch just ready to be back home. And he basically told me that I don't need to move back home. He said that I'm smart enough to figure it out. And uh, good luck. (laughs) There you go. So I did not get to move back home. I ended up just like sleeping on couches and stuff, um, which which wasn't really that bad. Uh, You know, the people I, I was staying with were... Uh, upset because I was there a little longer than I needed to be. And um, I tried to give them money that I had to like pay for things. But, you know, I'm fucking poor. (laughs) I was poor as shit. I didn't have like any money. So I would just, you know, for for food, basically my routine was I would go to this uh, supermarket called Fiesta 
and I get a dollar loaf of bread and then I would get a dollar bag of shredded cheese. And then I would, through the kindness of the people in the house, borrow their butter. And I made fucking uh, grilled cheese sandwiches like every single day. <laughs> like if, if food wasn't given to me, uh, it was a grilled cheese sandwich. That was my life. And my little treats I would give for myself too would be uh I, there were, we used to have these this, these soda machines. In the South, we call them. In Texas, we call them Coke machines. We had a Coke machine. I was about to say Coke machine, but then I stopped myself because <laughs> they they don't actually have Cokes. This was like a like a Shasta like cheap ass soda uh, machine. And I would like find a, they just took quarters, twenty five cents for a soda. It was badass. So I would you know be walking around. I'd see a quarter. And I'd be like, hell yeah, now I'm going to get myself a nice uh, pineapple or strawberry Shasta soda. And that would that was nice. That was, you know, that was like a good day then used to be uh, if I could find some change for a uh, for a nice uh, Shasta cola and then go to the ghetto chicken shop down the street and get like a few tenders or something like I was like living the high life if I could get that. And uh, also my friends would, uh, of course, hook me up with uh, beer and stuff. Um Sometimes, you know, they would put like uh, funny like games behind it. Uh, one one of which <laughs> was uh, the guy who I was staying with. Um, he, uh, you know, I, I, I remember like he, we were all like hanging out like in his living room and everyone had beers. And uh, I was like, I want one. I was like, can I have one? He's like, well, you're going to have to earn it. And I was like, OK, he's like, uh, we're going to we're going to do truth or dare. And uh, folks, since I was a small kid, uh, I've always picked truth. I know that's like the lame move to pull, but uh, truth is a, a lot easier for me than whatever diabolical shit you can come up with me <laughs> to do. So I'm a truth guy all the way. So I said truth. And this dumbass asked me if I masturbate in his house. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living with you. I'm a 22-year-old male. Yeah, I fucking jack off in your house. <laughs> so that was ha-ha funny, and then that that earned me a beer. And then he didn't know when to quit while he was ahead. So he asked me, well, where do you jack off in this house? And uh, my computer was set up in his bedroom. So I was like, uh, where, where do you think I'm masturbating? <laughs> I think we all know where that's going down. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not hiding playboys in the uh, in the in the bathroom. And this was the days before uh, mobile internet phones, so I had to. I had to basically. So so I got to tell him that not only was I jacking off in his house, I was jacking off in his fucking bedroom, and that was his fault. He asked for it, and I got a few uh, pity beers out of the situation, <laughs> and. That was, uh, that, that, that's how, that's how I got by. It was, it was tough, tough times back then. Uh, but you know, even besides like jokes, it, it, it was, it was really, really hard for me, especially whenever, you know, whenever things start, like, like whenever things just start all kind of collapsing cause you're broke. Poverty is a trap because once, once you start acting cheap about things, everything gets so, so, so much harder. You know, once you can't pay this bill, 
it just becomes a bigger bill and then you and then you don't have a phone anymore and now you got to do all this ridiculous shit with like the internet and like google voice uh settings to to get to get you know a phone call in with people for a while i didn't have a cell phone whatsoever and uh, if, if people want to reach me it was only on the internet and this was like i said kind of the earlier days of of online communication stuff so it, it, I had to use Google Voice at a Google Voice account, and uh, just like now, I had a uh, a microphone and boom setup and headphones. It fucking Google Home. Sorry about that. I had to turn off my Google Home because I said the word Google, and if you say the word Google, then it starts flipping out. So I had this Google Voice account. And um, I actually had one of the, the sweetest setups back then was that uh, I was looking for, for work, obviously. And I found this uh, coffee shop slash computer repair uh, company called Stay Wired. And they, I went in, it was such a badass place too. It's a shame they like shut it down because it was a really nice like, local like college coffee shop slash computer repair shop that they had like concerts in it was two stories kick-ass thing about texas that you can have so much more real estate like i think about how that would like work here and uh it it would be like uh you know like a hallway (laughs) it'd be like a, a hallway with a computer on one end and maybe like a little stand but in texas you know this guy was like was just a little bit older than me and he owned a two story building that had a coffee shop at the at the bottom and computer repair on top. And uh, whenever I came in, I, you know, asked for a job for whatever. And they uh, they said that they that they didn't have anything for me. And then, you know, uh, they, they, they did say that they had an internship for the uh, computer repair stuff that that because I told them I was really into computers and technology and stuff. And frankly, just like now with my podcast, why I'm doing my podcast is I, I had nothing else to do. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll at least, you know, have a place I can hang out up here in, in the AC and, uh, you know, learn about computers and repairing electronics and stuff. So that's what I did. I, uh, I went upstairs and I would uh, fix uh, computers. I would reinstall software. Uh, I would learn how to take apart pretty much anything and uh, diagnose problems and stuff. It was really, really cool. I really liked um, working with those guys. Uh, nerds are my, are my people, you know, so working with these, with these nerds and, you know, we, we do little, little pranks. Like we would, uh, rearrange the, uh, the keyboard letters, um, on, on the keyboards we worked on. And, uh, you know, j- just because like, it, it was honestly kind of a, kind of a nerd flex thing, that you shouldn't even have to look at the keys to use it. So we, we all the time we would just like rearrange the keys and write like you mad bro and shit <laughs> with the keys. This was the uh this was the the early 2010s. So, you know, we we do shit like that. And it was super fun. I really loved it. I love the people. Um they were super kind and the the kindest thing that they did for me was they actually gave me a little cubby to work out of. Uh, there was a little uh, corner section of the upstairs and uh, they straight up gave me a little desk and I could set up my my iMac. At the time, I had this uh, little white iMac that I did all my work on and 
for uh, for for someone like me, the computer is always my ticket out of any sort of financial binds and stuff. Like I, I like if if I could lose everything around me, I could lose my car, I could lose whatever. I could even lose like my place. But if I don't have a computer, I'm like worthless. Like I might as well be like without arms and legs. Like I am completely useless to any sort of jobs and work. So being able to like give me a like quiet place to have my computer and like be able to sit on it and work and like, you know, write portfolios and look around for new jobs was essential. And this badass dude, John, who ran the place uh, straight up let me have it let me have a little corner and set up didn't have to pay anything he would even give me the keys to the whole building if i needed to work later um just a super super sweet guy but at the time like i said with my phone situation i was uh using google voice with this like boom arm setup and stuff even back then i was doing voiceover work on stuff so that was all i had to make like phone calls and shit. And the joke was that I was DJ Jaywalk because it looked like I had like a radio station because I had like my headphones on in the microphone and I'm just like taking phone calls and trying to negotiate with creditors <laughs> that I can't pay them now, but I will uh, gladly get on a payment plan or something. And it just, it just, it, it, you know, it, it was, it was rough with the money stuff. Uh, but I, I I do pretty damn well whenever I'm broke. Uh, whenever I ha whenever I'm poor, it really just like kicks my ass in gear on so many things. Um, you know, even with like dating and stuff. To be honest, it's really the tragedy of any uh, relationship that I've had is that whenever I have cash and like you know I'm quote unquote like loaded with money and like I'm just not worried about it so much and we can go out whenever we want it's not the best version of Justin you really want to date. It's, it's the version that, that, you know, gets fat and like, kind of doesn't really like, like just, just kind of like lets things go and just, is not like the fighter, you know, whenever I'm poor, like I am now, the fighter comes out in me, you know, I just, I fight so much harder. It's like, even, you know, like right now uh, I had to do a, a video interview, um, for, a, for a perspective job and uh, not to toot my own horn, but I look fucking great now. You know, I've been like, like cut, I've cut down uh, booze almost to zero and uh, been working out. And uh, I got a, I got a free haircut, which was so fucking sweet. This, this guy, his name is Daniel. He works at La Arcada. I don't know if it's Arcada. It looks like Arcada. <laughs> Please excuse uh, my gringo speak. Please excuse my gringo speak, but... I believe it's Law um, Ar Arcada, but it's Law Law Arcada Barbershop, and it's a really nice barbershop. It's a forty dollar haircut kind of place, but always worth it because I, you know, I, I love like a male barbershop. It's really nice um, to, I, I think, than opposed to like a supercut or some shit. It's nice to have like a like like you know a guy you can talk to that you know for a while and. Um, one thing I love that they do there, I don't even know if they do this on purpose, but he turns me away from the mirror while he cuts my hair. I love that shit. <laughs> I do not want to stare at myself like for like uh, for 20 minutes. I just it's uncomfortable. So he always turns me around. And the truth is, is that I'm in his hands. I don't know what the fuck 
kind of haircut I want. I was just telling him, I'm like, I want to tighten the sides and then tighten the back. And, uh, you know, I just let him work the magic. And then, when I, and then I usually, what I'll usually tell him is make it just a little bit longer than he thinks it should be so that whenever I give it the, the look over, whenever I'm done, I just will say, Hey, yeah, trim a little bit more off the top because, um, I, I prefer to have long hair. Like, I, I think I, I know objectively I look better in a more trustworthy, um, more attractive male whenever I have a short men's haircut, but it's just like in my blood. I just don't, I feel more comfortable to have like a little bit of a wave and all this. It sucks having gray hair and having long hair. You end up looking like fucking smoky from the big Lebowski. <laughs> so I, uh, I do kind of trim it down, but now like I need jobs. So I, I have to give a damn about what I look like to strangers again. And, uh, I straight up texted this this guy, Daniel, and, you know, I, I told him I was like, man, you know, I hate to, to say this, but I'm I'm flat broke. Like I, I'm straight up like no, no money. Um, and I asked him if there is anything I can do to uh, to get a haircut in exchange for some services. I, I offered to, you know, to redo his Facebook. I even said I'll sweep the place. But I was like, I, I have to get a haircut because I have to start looking for work. And unfortunately, we live we live in a very superficial society that needs to see me look like a respectable 32 year old adult. <laughs> so I told him that and I didn't really expect him to get back to me. I, I even said at the end, I was like, no pressure whatsoever. Like, I'm sure that things aren't good for you either. So if I got to go get a super cuts or something, then that's that's fine. Um, and he texted me right back away. He's like, bro, don't even worry about it. He's like, you're a loyal client. And just come on up here at five o'clock and we'll get it all cut up for you. And that was such, such a fucking nice thing for him to do. Um, I'm going to make sure that he's paid back in spades for that. I've already like uh, been helping him a lot with his uh, with his side gig, which is a pastor, which was amazing. He's actually a Christian pastor on the side, even though he's a really, really young guy. He's probably like just a little bit older than me. But he's a Christian pastor for a Chinese church. Isn't that interesting? He's he's a, I would say a Hispanic person. Um, his la- I think his last name is Ruiz. Uh, but he is the English uh, pastor at this uh, Chinese church. And you know what? I listened to some of his sermons, and he's a very very talented, uh, well spoken dude. And has a fucking heart of gold, like I said, for for doing that for me. Um, it really, really changed already my whole attitude and uh, sort of the fight that I have to find new work was just having that nice, fresh haircut um, right in, just in time whenever I needed it. Um, so if you if you need a haircut in Santa Barbara, go go see this guy. It's it's Law Arcada Law Law Arcada uh, Barbershop. It is on State Street. It's where the it's where the Turtle Fountain is. Um, it's a really nice, like old school barber shop. He's a fucking badass, and uh, he really, really helped me out here. And if he's listening to this, um, you shouldn't be because it's very unChristian. <laughs> and uh, I did not share this with you, um, but uh, if you are listening to this, Daniel, you're a fucking awesome dude, and I really, really owe you one. And you are going to be my barber for life. Okay. So yeah, so kind of talking about um, you know the the uh, 
the the my my experiences with with being broke uh one one of the like i was saying especially when it comes to girls and dating uh i never got more action than whenever i was poor i talked about this with uh nikki and adam on the episode a few day a few episodes ago and yeah a lot of it had to do with that i was a cute as a button uh young 20 year old with uh gorgeous eyes and hair and this like fucking puka necklace that did not stop but you know uh i think a lot of it was that i was just literally hungry and you know i would uh i'd hit on girls just for a place to sleep for the night swear to god <laughs> like i'd be talking to some chick and be like oh so uh what do you think about temper pedic mattresses oh you happen to have one hmm some people might say this was whoring myself out, but you know, I think for a guy that doesn't really doesn't really count. <laughs> but at the time, I had two fucking girlfriends. It was the craziest shit ever. I was taking girls home to my friend's house I was crashing on. I was taking girls home to a couch. And my game was never tighter. Never. And uh, now, whenever I'm, you know, working really hard and making money, it's something I think about all the time. I'm like, this is you're not doing this for chicks. Like, it's you're just not that kind of guy. Uh, I think maybe now things are a little different. Sad thing about aging is I think now, yes, the girls that I want, you know, and especially girls that I want to, you know, eventually become the mother of my children. I got to be the provider. You know, I got to get my shit together and have enough money to support me and them and the kids and stuff. So it's I can't really be as quite as free and wild as my uh, 20, 20 days. But um, yeah, back then I, I literally had two chicks. Um, I, I was I was getting so much action that I actually started feeling extremely guilty about it. And I had this whole like religious like revelation about it, to be honest with you where I felt like a total fucking scumbag for uh, being an adulterer and, uh, you know, taking advantage of these women who uh, cared about me and just sort of just just using them, literally, and not using them for sex, like using them for meals and beds. I felt extremely guilty about it. I started going to church and stuff. It was nuts. Um, I still have a Bible, actually, that I, I, uh, I bought during that time and sort of turned me into the religious person I am today. I'm, I'm not like a huge Bible thumper. I don't really go to church ever, mostly because I can't stand Christian rock. Guys, Jesus deserves much better music than the shit that is in churches that we're playing for them, especially in white churches. Like, he deserves so much better. It's what a fucking shame. This is the creator of the universe, and the best we can do is these crappy, like, Christian like predictable lame songs we can do a lot better so that, that's actually what's turned me off a lot from churches i've walked out of churches before because i found because i've i started getting the vibe that oh this is all we're gonna do we're just going to uh sing along we're gonna do sing along karaoke to christian rock and i just uh, get up and leave sorry jesus um but i do love christianity and it's gotten me out of a lot of binds you know it's to have some sort of uh, moral um, center, something I can look back on in the tough like times in life and, and have it really, really helps me. Um, you know, something I, I like to do whenever things are, are really, really hard for me and I need to pray 
is that I don't ask God for things. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't get on my knees and say, oh God, please give me some more money or please help me find a gig and all this. I take a deep breath and I say, thank you. I say, thank you so much for everything I have. And I just say that, I repeat it, and I can feel myself feeling better, feeling more great, gracious about the stuff that I do have because you know, God might not have given me, you know, a good income and this and, you know, the material things that I need, like that are right on my mind, but I'm breathing, you know, the world is beautiful. I have, I have a lot, I have a lot, lot more than I need to get rid of. And, uh, there's actually this, uh, summer solstice thing that my landlady does, where you have to, where you write down something you want to get rid of, and then you throw it in the fire. And anytime I've done it, I always say I got nothing to get rid of. Like my my life is is pretty damn good, and there really isn't anything I just need to get rid of. So you know, that's those are my experiences with being broke. And um, you know, like I said earlier, poverty is a trap because you, whenever you're broke, everything's just so much fucking harder to do. It's really a shame, you know, because you, whenever you cut back on things that help you or make your life better, you just make everything harder. You start trading more and more time for things that someone with money can just take care of. And then little issues become fucking catastrophes. And it's just, it's hard. It's a, it's a, you know, I, I, I have a lot of faith in myself and just that, that I can get out of it, but I know people who really struggle i understand the pain because whenever you're poor it's just easier to get stuck that way and this because it's just it's just like a hole it's a hole it just gets deeper and deeper and you you got to have like somebody or something or some something just to give you that little hand to get the fuck out of that hole like i did with the with with the haircut just those little things it's my biggest advice to people if you're in this kind of situation is you got to put that hand out <laughs> you really do because you you got you need a boost you need something because you'll just get broker and broker and then you know, getting a little vodka for three bucks is uh, is something that, you know, you can find some change for and just continue just to just to be miserable and poor. Um, and, I, and I've been very lucky that I, 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 you know, I don't really have like a big financial support web, but I do have, you know, people who are who, who care about me. I have a lot of uh, especially with work and stuff is that, you know, people who might not have gigs for me. But, you know, they'll uh, they'll they'll lend a hand if I really, really need it. You know, they're they're there. So I never really get so, so trapped in it. It's a bitch. It's a bitch because the broker you get, the broker you feel and and uh, what the biggest paradox with uh, with poverty and being broke is that whenever you start like looking for work and stuff, if you're poor, people don't want to hire you. You know, it's uh, whatever I was doing business as a salesperson, something I never fucking understood uh, was that I, I would be like trying to sell something. And uh, one time I had a, a partner with me um, and uh, he told me that I was sounding too desperate for the job. Like I like, you know, that I was like acting like I needed it too much. And I never fucking understand that. <laughs> it, to me, it's the, it's the same logic 
as if I were to go into a restaurant and they were like, no, nah, we, we can't like serve him. He's too hungry. He's way, way too hungry. What's going on here, mister? You can't be going, going into this restaurant all hungry and shit. It's silly. You have to pretend that you're not broke to get people to give you work. So you're not fucking broke anymore. It's such a weird backward system, but you got to do it. And that's what I've been doing is, you know, just working on my appearance a lot and getting some nice uh, button up shirts and stuff that I really can't afford, but you got to do it because that's just, that's just the way it's done. Um, so that people don't think I'm like a drug addict, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, not to, uh, not to bitch and moan too much about my situation. Cause it is going to get a lot better. I, uh, yesterday, the reason this, this show was kind of coming out late is that, uh, is that yesterday I spent all day reaching out to anyone in Santa Barbara who has the word video anywhere in their website to start asking for gigs. And I've been getting a lot of responses, actually. Most of them, sadly, are telling me they're in the same position that, that I'm in, is that their phone isn't ringing anymore, and the last thing they could do is hire more people right now. But it's, it's, it's nice, because... I haven't done that in in ages and I should have done it years ago, but that's kind of the, the silver lining to being broke for me is that now I am, I'm not hungry. I'm starving metaphorically. So I'm, I'm doing outreach. Like it's like, it's nobody's business. I, I, you know, I, I should have done this like years ago is just reach out to every single company in Santa Barbara that does videos or makes videos and just give them my resume and my, my brand new portfolio site. I mean, it doesn't hurt. And that's what I did. And, and I've already been getting back some stuff. And, uh, one of my clients in, in Texas, who's bailed me out of so many situations like this has once again, uh, agreed to, uh, throw me some some work to do remotely out here to kind of keep things going and i have uh, signed up for for uh, food stamps um which i should have done a long time ago too i always thought food stamps were for like really really fucking poor people uh in california the cutoff is two thousand dollars a month if you make less than two grand a month get on fucking food stamps like it's it's there for you it's it's like there for the taking $2,000. That's just, that just blew my mind that that's like considered broke out here. <laughs> that's, that's like my average fucking month. Uh, that that's an okay month for me. Usually is two grand a month, you know? So I got on that. Um, that's coming in soon. And yes, I did sign up for unemployment. Laugh it up guys. Libertarian jaywalk. <laughs> you know, uh, has, has, is, is asking for money from the governments just in case I just had to do it, you know, um, cause it takes a while to sign up and everything. And I fucking did it. And now they, you know, it's open for freelancers and self-employed people like me. So, uh, last night I submitted it in and, uh, now I'm waiting for those sweet, sweet government checks. Uh, but I really hate welfare overall. Like I just, I, I never really think I need it. It's like, I just, I, I would rather just fight and be broke, but it's unprecedented times now. It's, it's times where I I can't find a job if I want to. That, that to me is where I 
justify it <laughs> for myself is that like it's not like I'm just fucking lazy and getting stoned all day and not making money, which is usually how I turn poor. Like I can't work. Like the the, the government is is telling people not to go to work. So what the fuck am I supposed to do? And uh, you know, I'm not going to be a lot, but I did sign up and going to see how that works out and why not try it, you know, try it once in my life at least. So here we go. Hypocrites, government assisted jaywalk coming soon. <laughs> Take this job and shove it. I ain't working no more. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working no more. So as part of my self-help uh, desperate, de- my self-help desperation <laughs> mode so far, uh, I haven't been, I- I've been getting more into reading. And by reading, I mean listening to audiobooks. It counts the same. You can tell people that you read and listen to an audiobook, right? So, you know, I've been uh, just checking out like uh, some authors and stuff. I've been introduced to David Foster Wallace through YouTube clips and stuff and um, kind of listening to him speak and he's a such a smart smart dude uh i really want to get infinite jest like i'm literally so broke right now that i, I can't afford a fucking ten dollar book which sucks maybe i'll get a library card or something but from the lectures and stuff i've seen him do uh very very intelligent uh the my only uh critique of him is like so many yuppie intellectuals who want to be like the working class poor, uh, there, you know, he has a lot of shit about like consumerism and capitalism, which I get, but I just hate hearing that shit from wealthy, well-educated, like college students. <laughs> like, I just like, give me, just give me a fucking break. Like David Foster Wallace, your, your father was wealthy. You lived a, 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 in a, in a wealthy home. Like you don't know what the fuck poor is like. You just don't. And he even admits it, you know, so it's just that's the one part that like makes me cringe is whenever I love hearing wealthy, connected people tell me about how bad it is to be poor. Thanks. <laughs> but, you know, he uh, he has a lot of uh, interesting takes, um, especially whenever it comes to uh, a media and irony. He's he has a lot of uh, critiques about how uh, postmodernism has made kind of everything a joke, you know, especially whenever it comes to TV shows and stuff. He talks about, you know, how like there's shows like Seinfeld and, you know, Arrested Development and stuff like that, that uh, that is all about just being ironic and like it, they're, they're, they're self-aware and that what we're like losing is sincerity. And uh, that that that's something that we should like kind of be on the lookout for. It actually reminds me of my my favorite philosopher who is uh, Roger Scruton. He's a philosopher of, of aesthetics and is also a small C conservative. Uh, if, if, I, if I were to ever call myself a conservative, it would be like him because he, he's a conservative in the sense that um, like David Foster Wallace's ideas on irony, he has the same ideas about postmodernism and like abstract art and stuff is that it's a joke that's kind of gone on a little too far that maybe, you know, whenever there was, you know, the R. Mutt, uh, the Duchamp urinal, um, 
that was like mind blowing in 1917, but it's 2020 now. And, uh, you kind of got to get over this shit because <laughs> his whole philosophy, which is like a very, uh, controversial, um, philosophy is aesthetics. Because basically what he's saying is that taste is real, is that some art is good and some is bad. And we live, you know, in a very, uh, in a liberal, everything is, is art, everything is beautiful society that we don't want to hear that shit. You know, we don't want to hear that some things are indeed uh, more tasteful and more beautiful than others. And he has a great video. You can find, it's for the BBC made you can find it on YouTube. It's called "Why Why Beauty Matters," and this this video of him talking about beauty and art and architecture, um, I would consider required viewing if I ever started a like production company or design studio, because he just blew my mind. Because you know I was always kind of a postmodern thinker kind of a everything's ironic i mean this fucking show is called lawyer expectation for god's sakes <laughs> you know so you know i've always been on that that end of the spectrum and i have a ton of artist friends who are like that too you know who like you know you can like fucking spray paint a dildo and that's fucking arts and whatever it's cool it's funny haha uh but his whole thing is a critique of that and you know he he like talks a lot about like how beauty you know, is is like one of the few evidences of the divine that we all have this sense that things are beautiful and we can see it and uh, that we should appreciate it. We, we shouldn't immediately trash that um, just because we want to be cool and like intellectual and, and too smart for our own good. That's what I mean by kind of a small C conservative is that he's he's all about um, not immediately throwing away every tradition and every like standard that we have that maybe we should like hold on to it just a little bit. So that's what kind of David Foster Wallace kind of reminds me of. But I think that he honestly has just like many people like I have before has just slipped over the contrarian swing set so much that now he's back to like conservative values because, you know, you start off and you're like, fuck you, mom and dad, I'm gonna do my own thing. And then you start hanging out with a bunch of people who are all, fuck you, mom and dad, I'm going to do my own thing. And then the only way to go is right back to the beginning. So he's kind of, I, I have a feeling that he's the same. I mean, every you hear him talk, you can tell that he's like, he's, he's, uh, he's so smart that it, it's, it's like, it's too much. Once he starts hearing himself sound like an intellectual, it's just, it cringes himself and he's just, he's just over it and then has to kind of say the, the opposite but still very, very intelligent, very tragic that he, uh, that he killed himself. Um, he, uh, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. I think there's, there's not a lot of hyper intelligent people who don't have depression. Uh, I think you just, you just, you just know too much <laughs> and I don't. So I'm not a very hyper intelligent person as I do not have a depression, uh, depression, but a lot of people do a lot of artists and stuff. And I think it's just cause you know too much. And, uh, it's, it's too much to handle. It's a, it's a burden sometimes. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of my, that's something I've been checking out a lot is, is David Foster Wallace. But, uh, something I actually did read slash listen to is, uh, a audiobook called Free Will by Sam Harris. Uh, Sam Harris is a philosopher as well. Um, He's uh he's much more modern, a lot younger than than uh, Roger Scruton. Roger Scruton's nearly dead. He's an old motherfucker. <laughs> but uh, he's a younger guy. He's uh, been on Bill Maher before. I think that's where he got famous because he's 
always been a big critic of uh, radical Islam, um, you know, is uh, in, and even though he's like an atheist, like liberal type, he's, uh, you know, he's always made this this argument that um, they don't fucking care that, you know, that this like whole idea that if we're just nice and, uh, you know, and, and we just don't don't spread hate and Islamophobia that, that, that they'll leave us alone is um, retarded, to put it like bluntly. <laughs> it's stupid. He actually he has this great podcast um, on his uh, series Making Sense. It's called What Do Jihadists Really Want? And he reads from a uh, published magazine by ISIS. And uh, it has basically it lays out like what they want and they don't want peace. There is no peace. Uh, Even even like for the for the liberal atheists, they hate you guys the most. They hate you more than the Bible thumping rednecks because you represent everything that is disgusting about about the world as it is today, about the about the decadent West. It, it's disgusting. Not a lot of gays in ISIS. Shocking. <laughs> so it talks about that. It has like some crazy uh, articles written by this uh, this this woman from Europe who brought her son with her to join ISIS. And the entire letter she's writing uh, in the in the magazine is basically saying how awesome it is that her son uh, killed himself in the name of Allah because uh he got to kind of escape this disgusting decadent west and that it's in that his life i think it was in i think he was in belgium before was just so terrible and awful and that she couldn't be happier to have her son dead um and they uh also go into uh basically basically admit they basically admit in this it's like it's like a top 10 reasons why we hate the west kind of thing that uh even even if there is peace, kind of like there is now, even if there is a, a moment of peace, it's simply a ceasefire. It's simply a way to to reorganize and figure out the next way to to hurt and destroy the like the the Satan of the West, which is us. And uh, that there is that, and that there there's there's no uh, there 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 will be no lasting peace. The end game is going to be either total destruction of anyone who is in their way or or submission um you're either going to be in you're either going to be a muslim with them or you're going to die and so you know i don't want to make this a whole like <laughs> i don't want to make this like a whole like you know a uh, political rant on that it's worth looking into you know uh because it's it's something to think about it's worth looking into you know it's sometimes there's challenging ideas that might not make you feel comfortable but it's worth looking into and he's not like a fucking like bible thumping like redneck who's like just wants to kill like all like you know muslims and you know just hates any sand and word kind of person he's an incredibly intelligent uh atheist writer and uh makes good points that aren't really filled with hate and stuff they're they're filled with logic you know and so that's that's something I respect about him a lot. He's a very very logical person. But the one I read is not about uh, how dangerous um, radical Islam is. <laughs> the one that I listened to is called Free Will, and this is actually probably what he's known for second to the uh, radical Islam uh, critiques. Is that he has this uh, this book called Free Will, and it basically lays out a whole argument that uh free will is an illusion of an illusion that there's just 
there's there's no way you can like scientifically uh like put any sort of like you know justification on on that we have choice and free will it just doesn't like make any sense you know there he he talks about how there are some compatibilist uh, philosophers who think that quantum mechanics is the answer that uh even though yes our brains are no different than animals and that you know they they react to stimulus in environments that uh well we have this like magic quantum mechanics inside of our brains that makes sure that you really can't predict what we're going to do next but the point is is that let's say that's true that just means that instead of free will it's random if if our if that's that's worse that's way worse if imagine every day you woke up and your decision was just a, a coin flip and just rolling dice that's not any better than than not having free will and it's a very uh it's a very um, almost dangerous idea to think that we don't have free will because our entire society is built upon that. You know, it's it's built upon like punishments that if you, that 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 criminals should know better, and that you know they they should be punished because they could have chosen not to do something that was wrong. And he makes a lot of like interesting. I don't want to give away the whole thing, but he makes a lot of interesting comparisons about like he basically sets up like a like a scenario of a woman getting murdered and he's like well what if the woman was murdered by an animal what if it was murdered by a four-year-old what if it was murdered by a uh, 22-year-old who had a brain tumor what if it was murdered by a 22-year-old who didn't have a brain tumor but was uh beaten relentlessly as a child and had no sense of like right and wrong just like all of this stuff you know like where does guilt start like where does like punishment make any any sense if that's if that's the case and i think it's easy you know if you hear that at first especially you know if you're like a lot of my friends who are very uh you know uh all about rehabilitation and they would kind of agree with that that you know most criminals like you know didn't really have a choice but what about rape what what about that basically that argument is that if uh if if a guy rapes a child He's as much of a victim as the kid if you really follow that train of logic all the way. And that's something that is like detestable to most people is that he can't. And, you know, he even like has some solutions to that, which is kind of where I fall with it, that perhaps there there is no legit free will, but deterrence is part of that uh, determinism, basically, is that the the deterrent effect of uh, crime and punishments and the justice system is part of the no choice system we have. It's part of the environment and everything, you know, uh, to, to stop that. And perhaps there are people who are too dangerous to, to be in this society, you know, that, that are incredibly unlucky, but must be, you know, uh, taken away from people to avoid, you know, hurting other, to avoid hurting other people. So it's 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 really interesting, you know, thinking about that, you know, as someone who who has been wronged before in in really hard ways, and um, I've been wronged by by people who could be argued didn't know any better, you know, and that always like does not sit right with me. It's really really hard for me to do that because I, you know, it's I I've thought about someone in my life who's 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 betrayed me and and hurt me a lot, and it's 
I always think like, what would I rather believe? Would I rather believe that this person is just like a wild dog is just like a fucking, like a rabid mutt who just, you know, saw, um, you know, something just, just, just basically was acting on instinct and couldn't help themselves. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just what, that's just, that's just their nature or they were legit, uh, conniving evil people who, who decided to, in their own choice, like betray me. That's, that's a really hard, neither of those is a good one. You know, neither of those is a good answer to it. And, uh, just something I think about. It's like, it's, it's hard to think. And, and, in and honestly, whenever it comes to that situation, I wonder if it was because I was not enough of a deterrence. If, 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 you know, I, I get a lot that I'm too nice, you know, that like, I'm a nice guy, nice guys finish last and all that kind of shits. And I actually do think about that a lot. I think that m- maybe this person like betrayed me because they just didn't see the consequences that high. Like they made a, a risk reward system on this and they didn't expect me to be, which I'm really not to be the person to just like fucking destroy them if they were to try that. And sadly, because of that scenario, I am now a person that has to kind of show that now I have to, it's why I have a punching bag and stuff now. And I'm trying to work out and stuff is, is I can't, I can't be fooled by that again. If anything, the good news about the situation is that I've learned to, I have to be more assertive and, uh, at least pretend to people that if you betray me, if you stab me in the back, it's going to be fucking terrible for you. It's going to be way worse. That risk reward system is all risk in that situation. I have to do that now. And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a good that I, I will assert myself more, you know, but it's uh like I said, the 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 concept of free will fascinates me, slightly terrifies me. And uh Sam Harris has a great audiobook about this called Free Will. My biggest complaint about it is it's an hour and twenty minutes long. Fuck you. That's a podcast. <laughs> that's barely a fucking podcast. But it's uh it's it has a lot of very uh interesting ideas about about the brain and free will in the justice system. And I really recommend that you uh, have a listen to it. Well, guys, that's episode seven for you. Hope you uh, had a good time listening to me today. So sorry it came out a little bit later than usual. Came out barely later. (laughs) But I really do treat everyone who listens to this show like with a lot of respect. Even the three people who really do listen to it when right comes away, uh, I care a lot about you, and I don't want to let you down. I don't want to slack off and just take you for granted. So I work my ass off to make sure this is a good show for you, no matter what. Every week, you will get as good of a show as I can make for you. <laughs> and with that, I'll go ahead and wrap this up. You can find me on uh, Facebook, Lower Your Expectation. Instagram, Lower Your Expectation Podcast. Email me lowyourexpectation at gmail.com and if you want to help this show you don't have to give me money not yet I know I said I'm poor and stuff right now but it's five dollars a month for me to keep this show alive Uh, so I will fucking snake that out of my change jar no problem but if you do want to help me what does help the algorithms is to give this show a rating 
get on your iTunes podcast, get on Spotify or whatever, and give this thing a nice five-star review. That does help me out a lot. That gets more people to listen to it, and it makes it, you know, more of a legit show. So, hope you guys have a great rest of your week. But before you go... Wittgenstein believed that the most serious and profound problems and questions and issues could be discussed only in the form of jokes. In U.S. lit, there is a tradition called black humor, which is a very kind of sardonic, sad type of humor. There's, there are forms of humor that, that often escapes from pain, and there are forms of humor that... In the U.S., there's a strange situation where, in some respects, humor and, and irony are political responses and they're redemptive. In another sense, particularly in popular entertainment, irony and a kind of dark humor can become a way of pretending to protest when it really isn't. Someone, someone once called irony the song of the bird that has come to love its cage. And even though it sounds about not liking the cage, it really likes it more. It can be both a wake-up call and like a kind of anesthetic. And, and the difference, the difference Harry, are you in there? Be right out! I hope you're not using the toilet, it's broken. Huh?